Today's sermon is called The Lessons from Hebrews. Jesus is number one. During a game, especially after a great win, it is not uncommon to hear the words, we're number one, we're number one. And you probably never heard the phrase, we're number five, we're number five. Those are exciting moments when you win. It's exciting times. And then come the finals, right? Everybody, the one and two, everybody in there thinks that they're number one. And they fight and they fight and they fight until you finally figure out who the victor is when the game is over. If you were to compare Jesus to any opposition, who is going to end up number one? Well, I hope you know that it's going to be Jesus. Sadly, there are diehard fans on the opposing team who still haven't come to the right conclusion. There are three points today we're going to look at. New covenant, new sanctuary, and new blood. Each of those can be many sermons by themselves. So we're going to look at it very quickly and uh, from the other knowledge that you have and the studies that you put forth, hopefully this will solidify some of the things about Jesus. So first, new covenant. Now the Hebrew writer teaches about Jesus becoming the new high priest. And our new high priest brought with him many, many wonderful things for us to understand. We learn that his high priesthood is permanent. It's permanent. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Hebrews chapter 7, 23 through 24. Then, after he established his high priesthood, as the Hebrew letter flows, he gave us a new covenant. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old. As the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Hebrews 7 verse 6. Now if perfection, that is the winning team... Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. Hebrews chapter 7, 11 through 12. The old team were those who followed the rules and expectations of the law of Moses. To be on their team was mandatory from physical birth. I liken that to growing up in a particular school district. I was born in the area. My parents live here. I go to this school. For no other reason, I am on the team. You guys understand, don't you? 
So I become part of the sports that are already established. And being good parents, staff, and townsfolk, some step up to make sure their kids learn the basics of that particular sport or all the sports. At first, it's not necessarily a matter of skill, is it? Sometimes it's not even a matter of, I want to play. It's an expectation. You are going to play. The old covenant was like this. You were born in it from your physical birth. And you are going to learn the rules and expectations to please God and his people. This is not bad. It was, in fact, designed by God for those under the old covenant. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently, diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8. And that rest of that context is really wonderful as we work with children to teach them the things of the Lord. But God's new team, new covenant, is set up differently. Is it still a good idea, a godly idea, to train your children in the way of the Lord? Absolutely. But the time one enters covenant with God now is different than in the times under the old covenant. We know this because of what scripture teach about immersion or baptism into Christ. There are no examples of babies being immersed into Christ in Scripture. Why? Well, God wants people now to choose to follow Him in covenant. Not by coercion and not by physical birth, but because a person chooses to be. You have a learned desire to be on his team. It is not a matter of trying out for the team to see if you can make it. I don't think anybody would make the team with their own abilities. For all, though, can be on his team. It is a matter of, do you want to be on his team? It is a matter of, do you have a set understanding about Christ before choosing to be on his team? Are you aware of certain truths before you decide to enter into covenant? At immersion. That's different than under the old law. Were you born physically in covenant? And then learn as you go. The Hebrew writer and the prophet Jeremiah said this, and they shall not teach. Who are the they? They are those who 
want to be in the new covenant or who are in the new covenant. And they shall not teach. That word teach has to do with the ABCs of your faith in God. Each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord. That's the idea of elementary teaching. For they shall all know me. The idea there, that's a different word. No, you have a set understanding of what you're choosing to be a part of. From the least of them to the greatest. And I can only understand that, meaning that's the expectation for everyone in the new covenant. From the least to the greatest. No one is exempt. You need to know the Lord to choose to be in covenant. Everything? No. Second, new sanctuary. Remember I said these lessons all by themselves could probably be three, four, five lessons. A second new truth is that Christ, as high priest, has made public his new sanctuary. It is not this building. It is not this building. It's new in the sense that it is not the same one under the old law. And it is new in that it is not of this creation. It is in heaven. If an NBA team built a brand new stadium and they got some whopping nice stadiums out there, would the team and the fans be interested in going there to play or using the old one? I mean, really, the bathrooms are all run down, the seats are crickety, those stairs are so steep, I fall backwards and I can go down 20 flights of stairs. Let's build a new one and make it better. So the Hebrew writer compares the heavenly tabernacle with the earthly one. God declared something better that will always be better. It is the one that is new and improved. Here's a good statement for new and improved. Not old and dilapidated. New and improved. That's a good thing here. The old tabernacle or tent was designed in two sections. The holy place, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2, and the most holy place, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. And what was between these two sections was a curtain. Only priests could enter the tabernacle. And only the high priest could enter the most holy place. And that's just on once a year on the Day of Atonement. Hebrews 9, 7 Leviticus 16. The old tabernacle must have been a magnificent thing to behold. Have you ever looked at all the details that went into that? The coverings, the gold. and It must have been gorgeous. Gorgeous. And the, and the stitching or the... Wow. For most Israelites, though, it was a thing to behold from a distance. You see, because there was a death penalty for anybody other than the priests, 
to enter the part the tabernacle. Everybody, covenant, common covenant worshipers could not enter the area. They had to behold it from afar. Why would God make it so difficult for the common covenant worshiper under the old law to, as they would have understood it, enter his presence? Remember the the cloud, the presence of God would have been on that? It might have something to do with the curtain and what the curtain represented. What did the curtain represent? Separation between God and man. The idea that the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sin. I mean, if you have a sinful nature spiritually, how can you truly come into God's presence? You can't. You cannot come into God's presence with sin on you. So a time of reformation is coming. To reform is to change. A reorganization, a restructuring. The old covenant and tabernacle and all its worship regulations was, according to chapter 9, verse 10, imposed until the time of reformation. And that reformation is not talking about Martin Luther, but Christ himself is the one who reformed one covenant into another, one tabernacle made in heaven. The Reformation, in part, had to deal with a new high priest and his covenant, his death on the cross and ascension. It had to deal with his new tabernacle, which is not of this creation. This is the team I want to play on as a willing participant. The Hebrew writer used an interesting word in the text. My translation says symbolic, which can also mean parable, referring to the old tabernacle. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Chapter 9, verses 8 through 9. In other words, prior to Christ, sin has not truly been dealt with. Under the old law, blood of bulls and goats could not give us true connection with God, could it? It could not perfect our conscience. Any common sense person would know that that blood of bulls and goats cannot take away their sin. You are still guilty before God. You're obedient, you're faithful. You have an obedient faith to do God's will, but it's not until Christ comes that things are taken care of. Blood of Christ beats the blood of bulls and goats. What did the old covenant tabernacle use for external purification and ritual? Blood from animals. It was part of the design of God, but it was was a design that was put into place until the true sacrifice comes, until the time of reformation. Have you ever built a house? Anybody here ever built a house? A whole house? Okay, we got a few people. 
And upon a finishing, you realize that was, there was something you could have done better. <laughs> oh, I finished it. Oh, yeah, you guys are in the process. I could, should have changed that plan there. Not well, too late now. I'll be happy with it. In my dad's case, he said, I could do anything to this house, referring to the house we grew up in. I just don't have the money. You see, the blood of bulls and goats brought a deficit. It brought a deficit. It could not make the old tabernacle useful in the matter of our sin problem. But Christ's blood is infinitely better. The building purchased by his blood is infinitely better. Do you think when he finished it, he went, oh, I should have changed the plan here. No way. Perfect. Beautiful. Designed to do exactly what is intended for our relationship between us and God. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of bulls and goats, or goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. Who's that for? Us. By his blood that's described as being sprinkled in the tabernacle in heaven that we now have without a curtain that divides but his body that allows us to connect with God. Third point, new blood. When my wife Shannon had cancer, initially, they thought that they could cure her by treating her blood. Sadly, they did not know the cancer had already infected her bone marrow. So the treatment they engaged in was not going to work, even though they thought it would. In the end, her own blood was not good enough to save her life. Other human blood could not save her. And the blood of animals, not even considered to save a person. In the end, her salvation came by the blood of Christ. That commitment made when she was immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of sins as somebody who has a set understanding to make the choice. She was not perfect, but his blood is, and so she knew that she was truly saved. That's what his blood does to our conscience. It's not talking about, well, I've got a bad conscience. It's talking about knowing that his blood really works. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's his blood. It really works. You can really know 
where you stand with God through Christ. She entered the presence of God. Under the old law, the old tabernacle, the old priesthood, the old blood animal sacrifices, true redemption could not happen. It, wasn't, it was an effort that could not reach the bone marrow where the disease of sin lies. But the treatment that Christ offers is not of this world. For the blood of, go blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heaven sanctify for the purification of the flesh. It's a ritual. So they can do the things they need to do. They need to be purified that way. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you have to run around thinking, I'm not saved today because I sinned 10 minutes ago. I better hurry up and get salvation and pray about it. The third part of this section, power in the blood. Not just any blood, but Christ's blood. And he needed only to die once for all. Did you realize that? Think about that. How many times does a person need to shoot a basketball into a basketball hoop before they start making baskets on a regular basis? Thousands and thousands? Okay, I got, yeah, okay. thousands and thousands. Thousands. Well, how many animals were killed under the old law? Millions and millions and millions. Christ's blood only needed to be shed once. And it was a perfect shot. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.26 so just listen to these passages real quick, and I will end the lesson. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, Romans 5.9. In him we have redemption through his blood, for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1.9. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13 And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Colossians 1.20 So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood, Hebrews 13, 12. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And John the Apostle says in Revelation, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So to recap, 
Is Jesus number one or number two? And as number one, he has the rights to bring in what he wants to bring in. So he brought in a new covenant, a new way to choose to be a part with him. He brought in a new sanctuary that's in heaven that we can enter because of his blood. And he brought in new blood, not animal blood, but the perfect blood of God. 